0: salams and welcome you're listening to the sacred footsteps podcast with your hosts me yasmin lee and zara chowdhury sacred footsteps is an online publication dedicated to travel culture and history from a muslim perspective in this series we'll be talking to writers artists historians and a whole host of other people about travel as a spiritual practice In this episode, we'll be talking to Afaq Ali, Sacred Footsteps writer, photographer and someone who runs zero tours. We'll be discussing his travels to Iran, travelling as a Sunni in a predominantly Shia country and the visit to the tomb of Imam al-Ghazali, as well as, yep, you guessed it, our Sacred Footsteps Iran tour happening next year. More details about that on the website.
1: So I, I live in London, and I recently spent uh, my summer in Iran. And if any of you have been following me, um, you'll, you'll know that I had the opportunity to study and live and then travel in Iran for about two months. So I spent about a month in Isfahan, which is quite famous for its historical uh, mosques, its majestic um, architecture history. Um, I was studying Farsi at the University of Isfahan. And then I had the opportunity to travel all throughout Iran. So I'll quickly give you a list. It's not too long, but it's it's a, it's a okay. huge country. with so much to see. So I was in Isfahan yeah. and then I traveled to Yazd, which is the city of Zoroastrians, um, which is the oldest religion in Iran. Then I went to Shiraz, the city of Hafiz and poetry. And then I had yeah. the chance to go to uh, Tabriz on the, on the northwest, which is in bordering with um, Azerbaijan and Turkey. And then I traveled all the way east, all the way to Mashhad, and I stopped in some of the ancient uh, Silk Road trade cities like Hamadan, uh, Zanjan, um, Kasvin, Tehran, and then I went to Mashhad, which was where I ended my trip. So I had a very packed, amazing, fun summer.
2: Amazing. So you did you? And- you pretty much covered the whole country.
1: I I didn't cover the whole. So I yeah I covered I covered the south. I covered the, the west and the east, but there's so much more to see in the southeast, yeah. for example. If you look at the southeast, it borders Pakistan, so it's the province of Sistan and Balochistan. Mm. So that, that that region is just incredibly diverse. It's completely different from the rest of Iran. So there's major cities like Kerman and Qom. And then if you go further south, south of Shiraz, you have the islands, which are completely different. There's a lot of African roots there. There's a lot of very different oh, languages, too. And then, if you go to the south um, west, you you have a completely different minority of Arabs that have come from different different uh, migration um, yeah. journeys. So, and how so long I, were you I,
0: there for? I think you mentioned it earlier, but
1: I was there for long? I was there for two months. So, inshallah, I would love to go back and cover the rest of it. It's 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 very very diverse here, yeah. but it's, yeah. I think it, I think it needs a few months by road to really understand. The, the incredible diversity um, that Iran really has.
2: I yeah. Think, um, as, as like an outsider, I think often we look at Iran as a complete monolith. You don't even think of it as being very diverse and having different regions with different cultures in a way. So I think seeing your Insta stories over the summer and all your posts, like it, it was quite eye-opening in that sense and seeing all the differences in each region.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Iran has an incredibly diverse... Landscape in in every way the, the languages the cuisines the people, and I realized I realized this when I left the main, main hut for well, the heartland of Iran. When I traveled to Tabriz, on the northwest, which is which is famous for Shams Tabrizi. For for the listeners who know, and are fans of Rumi, he was the uh, spiritual teacher of Molana Rumi. People in Shams for in Tabriz, are incredibly different. They look different. They speak the different dialect. The food is very different. For example, is famous for uh kofte tabrizi kofte, which is, you know, it's a very local dish you don't find anywhere else. And the same thing if you go to the north, you get Turkmenistan, you you know, so it's completely different. And and people don't look the same at all. You know, there's a lot of African roots, as I mentioned earlier. So people have different skin tones. It's just like going to Pakistan or going to, you know, any other country which which has bordering um neighbors who are were incredibly different. And and then Iran has absorbed so many different minorities and races that now you really wouldn't know you're in Iran. For example, if you go to the South, and you go to the islands and it's just, I haven't seen all of that, but yeah, it's completely different from what I've ever expected. And I've been to Iran before. So this was my second trip. And Uh now I really go to appreciate, and I think there's even more, you know? So, I mean, for example, I met Pakistanis when I was in Iran. And they spoke Farsi, but they're from Pakistan or live on the border with Pakistan. And, and, you know, and they listen to to listen to Indian music and Pakistani music. And you think, you know, I was in a taxi once and I and the guy was playing a Pakistani song. And I just thought it was really (laughs) random. And he didn't even really understand the language. But, you know, he liked it because he has friends who speak Hindi or they speak. speak Yeah. Yeah, Is
2: is that would you say there's a lot of like cross cross um, cultural influence between Pakistan and Iran,
1: I think there there really isn't unless unless you're looking at the, the southeast south east bordering Pakistan and regions, Iran. You know, it's like most countries. If you there's always a there's always a primary a dominant um, ethnicity and a language. So mm. Farsi, Farsi with with this dialect, you know, is is the dominant one, and and people are very proud of that blood of you know being Persian, but they can't avoid the cross the crossing, the mixing of cultures. So you do see Afghanis and Balochis and the Pakistanis and Turkish and even Arabs, you know. For example, falafel is is the is the most popular fast food in most of uh heartland oh, really? of Iran.
0: Oh wow that's interesting.
1: And, and this has come from the Arab migration and especially yeah. from the war the eighties uh, Iran Iraq war. A lot of Arab Arabs who lived on the border of Iraq in Iran, they moved inwards to the heartland of Iran. So now you see falafel stands and 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 this is a funny thing. They, they serve it in pairs, so you get falafel and then you get samosa together. So the samosa nice. is a Pakistani influence, and then the Arab. <laughs> That's
0: a really good combination, actually.
1: And yeah, do. and and they made it their own. You know, you would never expect to go to Isfahan and have samosa.
0: No. And,
1: and they don't even know it's Pakistani. So I was standing there eating and thinking, "This is amazing," you know. And my friends, <laughs> uh, they had no idea this comes from Pakistan. So to answer your question, there's a lot of mixture of language and culture and cuisine, but a lot of Iranians. Are not really aware of that, and and it's it's strange how we could be neighbors with Iran as Pakistanis, and and they don't really fully understand who we are and what we do, Um because a lot of them don't even know Pakistan is is a Muslim country. You know, I had really ask, wow
0: had, wow that's had, fascinating. I'm really surprised at that. Oh. It
1: blew me away because I had people ask me what was your name, and I would say Ali, and I would assume that gives you immediate confirmation. You yeah, know,
0: you'd of, think so, wouldn't you?
1: And they would say, "So, are you are you Muslim?" And the first few times um, I heard this, I was I was almost offended, as if they were you know belittling me and, and Pakistan and say, "How you guys aren't really Muslims." But they genuinely did not know.
0: Why do you uh, think that is?
1: Yeah, I think my my estimation was two twofold. One was I think because there's a huge influence from from India globally, people seem to think we're very similar to Indians and historically Pakistan. Yeah. So I think there's a confusion of well, if Indians aren't really Muslims, and of course there's a lot of Muslims in India, <laughs> there's a, there's a they don't want to assume and say
0: yeah,
1: they're Muslims, so that they understand there's a historic you know history right. between the two nations. And secondly, secondly, there's really a lot of ignorance in Iran of its neighboring countries because Iranians are very inward-looking people.
0: Yeah,
1: and may sound controversial to someone who's who's Persian or Iranian, but this is my observation that they don't really understand. Who the neighbors are, and because the heartland of Iran is dead in the center of Iran, and if you look to Pakistan, it's all desert land, right? That goes across to Pakistan, so there's no there's not really a, a border that fuses people together. So you really right. have to be a long distance from Pakistan, and even in Pakistan, if you look at it, you go from Kuwaita into Afghanistan, uh, into Pakistan, uh, into Iran. They all go to Mashhad for the pilgrimage. So there really aren't tourists that are crossing the border, bringing language, culture, that is commonly understood, and most Pakistanis and Afghanis who come to Iran are typically um, either refugees or, or yeah. immigrants who come for work. So, so and those are the uneducated type of people who don't really integrate into the social fiber. You know, right. I see. People I see. Stay out of so for them, it was a, it was a strange experience that I was Pakistani, mm. I was British, and I was able and I was studying. You know, for them, this was this was an interesting experience, and they were very curious, but. Yes, I I did have to explain to them that I'm Muslim. Yeah,
0: so can we can we touch on that a little bit? So I just want to go back. You obviously you documented this um, for the Sacred Footsteps uh, website, and it's called "Searching for the Tomb of Imam Ghazali: The Personal Journey of a Lost Pilgrim." So just just want to talk about your article a little bit. It's a, it's a beautiful article, by the way, for anyone out there who wants to read it, it's on the website. I just wanted to go back because you you mentioned why you went to iran and if i can just read like a uh, a line yeah where where you're kind of going to iran and and most people just don't understand why you're there so they say you came to iran to study why you want to explore our country you could be in paris or london but um you found that your soul kind of wanted to be be there like you were drawn to it can you just talk talk about that a little bit because it seems like on the one hand, you didn't want it to just be sort of like indulging in spiritual tourism, as you say. But on the other hand, you know, you really just wanted to go there to study. But people couldn't understand why. Like, how? How was that for you? It's a,
1: it's a really, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very nuanced answer because I think I, I think I went not knowing what I was looking for, but I kind of knew what I didn't want, and and I guess that's an, that's an easier position to start with. What I did not want was a. A trip to a Muslim country where i would where I would go and see places and be comfortable and enjoy and do things that you can easily do. I kind of wanted to make this a little bit of a difficult trip because I think I wanted to experience something that I couldn't easily otherwise achieve. My first choice was Iran, but I was also considering turkey and i and I turned Turkey down because I realized it's it's so easily accessible, everything. Mm. Is is you can just do it and then you can fly back home in easyJet. It you know it doesn't it it just didn't didn't appeal to me. And I, yeah, I and it's I'm,
0: very European as well. At the same time, is, in terms of ease. Yeah.
1: So I think I think if you look back historically to the, to the Muslim journey and the way the way Islam and especially maybe some of the elements of Sufism, it's you know it's about an inward journey that we all perform, and and the physical expression of that is through the Hajj. But I think a lot of people. If you have a you know spiritual bone in you, or if you believe in Allah, if you believe in some sort of you know a life which is which is more than the physical, I think we our souls and our hearts are I think always searching for something. And I think and I think growing up in the West. So I was born in Pakistan for and I lived there for a short, a very short amount of time. Coming to Europe and and living the European life, I always felt like there's a vacuum gap, which which mm. I think is commonly understood. Amongst even non-Muslims, and I think people understand, and and people respond to that to that. I think emptiness in in different ways. I think some people look to God, and I think some people maybe look to more worldly things. And and I think for me, I have I've done a lot of things already as a European. I've I've traveled, and and I've I have material possessions. I have, I have all the things. Alhamdulillah, that I could want, and I felt like there was something missing. Mm-hmm. And you know, I haven't. I, I don't really know why I was going to run, but I knew it was something that I wanted to try. So Iran, and just to continue the, I guess back to the question was, Iran had always appealed to me because a because of its language and and Farsi. So I studied I started studying Farsi maybe about a year ago. So I was already a beginner, and I thought, well, I could go to Iran and, and Farsi would be a good reason to go because I mm-hmm. can academically I'm learning something, and it's a good excuse to give to, 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 my, to my family and say. Yeah. I'm going to Iran to study because otherwise it's seen as a very odd thing to do nobody says I want to study Farsi in Iran people go to study Arabic in Cairo or yeah or they, or they go to Sudan or Morocco you know the heartlands of you know Quranic Arabic and Farsi is something we never do so I found this as a good step in, in into the door of Iran and yeah and it's
0: the language of the poets right so Hafiz and all the and and Rumi and all the all the poets that we know and, and Iqbal so I guess people just might think you're a bit lofty and aloof.
1: I mean, Farsi, Farsi is interesting because a lot of people um, who don't understand Farsi will never grasp it. Because if you, if you, if you are a fan of Rumi, for example, Mulana, um, you end up reading the English translation, which is which is so so grossly misunderstood and translated. And the most popular translation, from what I understand, is, is by a Guy. Who's an American who doesn't even understand mm-hmm. Farsi, and he used he yeah. used Farsi speakers to come up with the translation. And this is how you know Mulana Rumi has become popularized. And so when I was in Iran and 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 I would speak to Iranians and and you know they revere Hafiz and Rumi, the serious this you know the serious fans they revere them so much from with a with a touch of you know, is it, that is it, they're they're talking about nothing else except Allah. It's such a religious heavy influence yeah. on. these but in in the West, growing up, you know, I would go to a bookstore and I would pick up and a Rumi book, and and it was essentially a very very light romanticized book about you know wine and women and all this stuff. But yeah. I always knew there was something missing with this, and 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 you know this is and if you look at Muhammad Iqbal, who you touched, who happens to be my favorite poet. He was heavily influenced by Molana Rumi. Yeah. And and so these are very, very orthodox religious figures in in Islamic history yeah. who happen to have Persian roots. And and this is and I and I felt like look, I'm I'm now in my thirties. I think I'm done trying to understand translations of these poets. I kinda of wanna to go to the roots of it. And Persian, in my opinion, and many others say is the language for poetry. If Arabic is for yeah. the Quran, yeah. it's in my article. Persian is completely for poetry, yeah. and I'm I'm not a huge poet, but I do write some poetry. and And every single mm. day in Iran was an, an incredible day. Just so you can, I mean, you see, you hear your Uber, you know, your taxi driver speaking at Farsi. Yeah, and it's, it is. So, it
0: is a really beautiful founding. Uh, language. I mean, my I never, uh, learned Farsi unfortunately, but my father would used to speak it and would translate some of the poetry for me, so I have an appreciation of it. But on that note. Do you think you can only then appreciate such poets unless you learn the language? Is it all just a bit surface level? Sorry, that's a bit contentious, but... No, I
1: think think it's a good question. I think it's a more general question, right? Poetry, can you translate poetry accurately? And, And I think the general consensus is you can never really translate something from from one language to the other. And if anyone is listening and, and they're interested in Persian poetry, the only good translation I've ever come across um, of Hafiz, for example, or Faridud in Atar, is by a guy called Dick Davis. His translation of Hafiz and, and Atar is incredible. Um, and he's only done it, done such a great job because He's a he's Persian speaker himself and right. his wife. They're both poets. But other than that, I mean, I've seen really poor translations of Hafiz um, in the UK bookstores and on Amazon, and mm-hmm. you really can't understand it. And so I speak basic 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 Persian now, and I can already start un- understanding some of the words and how they're used and conveyed, and you just really, you really can't translate it. And I, I think it's a shame, especially if you people – listening are fans of Rumi and he's so popular and you know I think everybody thinks they're understanding what he's saying and I'm not even close to understanding someone as deep as him yeah. but it's journey right so I guess this was my way of stepping in and saying look I'm going to start this journey it may
2: take me a long time mm-hmm. but
1: this is me starting it
2: going back to your article the one about Imam Ghazali the thing I really loved about it was how honest you were because you spoke about the fact that you'd gone to Iran you'd you visited all these shrines, but you were not feeling any kind of spiritual connection in any way. And your journey to find the tomb of Imam Ghazali was kind of—it's um, what we spoke about actually in, our, in the first episode of our podcast. It was—it was a physical journey, but also a very spiritual journey.
1: Yeah, sure. I think I think firstly, I think if if people haven't read it, I think I would do some self prom- promotions to read it because I think you'll understand my answer maybe differently. So, yeah. The the thing with Imam al-Wazali is, you know, when I was in Iran, there's a there's a huge element of of um of imams, right? I mean, Shia's is, name just to clarify, and Shia theology and Shia um, faith as a whole, they they revere saints and imams and 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 then they have tombs of not only imams, they, so the, the the only Imam that's buried in Iran is is Imam Muzal. And so he he has become the center of religion in in, in Iran. But there's so many more shrines. You have the brother, you have the sister, you have the daughter, you have you have grandchildren, you have cousins. You have they they call them imams are they um, shrines. So literally scattered all over Iran, you have these shrines, and and I would see them, and I would visit them, and I could see, and I've and I've never seen such zealous, such such in, you know such incredible passion for these imams and 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 the relatives. That I was just blown away. So when I when I was ending my trip, this has been almost now, I think, seven weeks, almost eight weeks. I had I've done all, all of this traveling and, and seen all of these shrines, but I haven't seen Imam Raza's shrine. And everybody was telling me, Why would you go to Imam Raza? Hey, he's well, if you're not religious, why would you go? And I would say, Well, you know, I'm religious. I'm not Shia, but I'm I am religious. And this is this is the fascinating thing. Most young people that I spoke to were not religious. So for them they would say, well, why would you not go to the south? Go to the beaches, go to the mountains in, in the north. Why would you why on earth would you even go to Mashab? It mm. is such it is such a boring religious place. <laughs> you would you would you would hate it. And and but this is this is where they were wrong because I guess they did not really understand why I was there and, and I wasn't quite sure myself. So I decided to go and I said, Look, let me just go, let me just see what the deal is. Because now by this time I've already maybe been to fifteen, twenty shrines already. And so I wasn't really expecting anything, so I went to Imam shrine in in Mashhad, and I saw it, and it's humongous. the the Haram, is you know, is bigger than Masjid al nabi and Mashhad al Haram combined. So you know, it's it's just expanding constantly, and it was full of full of programs all over the world. I saw Africans, you know, I saw some Europeans, I saw a lot of Arabs. There's a lot of Bahrainis that are Shia that come to Iran for that. Pakistanis, and obviously there's neighboring you know people from Turkmenistan too, and I saw all of this, and i as expected, I had no experiences which were spiritual other than feeling like I was missing something. there was something wrong with me, or maybe this is not something that I, as a Sunni sh- should even be attracted to, but I never saw it as a Sunni thing because I grew up in you know in Pakistan briefly, so I had this idea of saints you know we have it in Pakistan too mm. so i've i've been to I've been to some tombs in Pakistan, and again, I never was attracted to these. So anyway, so Imam Ghazali is also buried in Mashhad. And if you read the article, you'll see that it was a very difficult journey just to get to Imam Ghazali. He's buried about, I think, 30 kilometers from Mashhad. And so after doing all of this, doing Imam Raza for two days, I went to see Imam Ghazali. And and it was an interesting experience, to say the least, because I think this is where my entire trip concluded. So I'd Mm -hmm. spent almost eight weeks in Iran I've visited so many different masjids, so many different mosques, Mm. shrines. I have spoken to maybe about 100 people already. I've spoken to people who were telling me not to be a Muslim. I've spoken to people who told me I should be Shia. um, Not because they were against Sunnis, but it was just, you know, people just saying, Your name is Ali, you know, you understand we are, you know, we're your brothers. You know, Sunnis in in, in Saudi, they do all these horrible things. So there's a lot of like contradictory ideas coming yeah. sides. And I smiled at everything and I said, That's that's you know, that's fine. Um, but I'm not particularly bothered by by, by sect, but I'll I'll listen to you. So then when I go to see your mom was Ali I, I realised this was such an unassuming place. There was no one pushing me. There was no one saying you should even go see him. Um, And when you get to the shrine of Imam Azali, you realize it's it's exactly, I think, what I needed, which was just an emptiness around me where there was nobody to talk to me. There was no one pronouncing their faith or or, or the love or tears. There was no crying. There was nothing. And it was just, I was pretty much alone. You know, I went with the taxi driver, but he left me. And and I stood there and and I realized this is kind of what I needed, which was just, just maybe the eight weeks of exhaustion, of having traveled and seen so much of Iran and trying to force it, and and, and then standing there and realizing that maybe that's what people sometimes need, which is a very difficult journey, very outward journey. Mm-hmm. And then in some way, you get an inward experience in the least expected moments. But I just want to clarify one thing, because I don't think it's got anything to do with being at at a grave for me personally it wasn't that I, Imam Ali was buried there but I think it's, it's it's just a struggle I think for me it was exhaustion by the end of it and then to stand there and sit next to him and, and then and I look at this completely devastated neglected tomb site I couldn't help but remember some of his works and and realize the message that he had been teaching his entire life and that really hit me which was here's a man who didn't want the glory of this world he had it yeah. he sacrificed yeah. it and and this was just it was just a, such a poetic, beautiful end to his life because literally an hour away, people are wailing and grabbing onto the grill of Imam Raza's shrine, and and millions and millions are being spent every year to maintain and improve these shrines. But here's one which just has a tin roof on it, and That's and crazy. no one in the world could hear right? I mean, I could literally go there and I could I could I could just spend the entire day and no one would interrupt me. And and for me, that sim- simplicity, I think, was what I what I needed. And I realized at that point that I spent my entire life traveling to Muslim countries to find the most beautiful mosques. And I mm-hmm. I think I'm blessed to have seen most of them. But to see something so beautiful and at the same time, you can argue so ugly because it's not a beautiful sight in any way.
0: Yeah. And
1: I think, and I think that really pierced my heart. Which was, this is this is exactly what I did not expect. And I had my camera with me. I had everything with me. And I just didn't want to take any photos because I was like, "How could I even take a photo of this that would look pleasing to anybody, right?" Um, so yeah. I didn't. I took, I, took, I think, I think maybe like five photos that entire day. Mm. And, and typically, I would take about five hundred. So it's it was just, just mind blowing.
2: Yeah, I I think those images are just. I mean, you can choose to look at them very negatively and ask why, you know, there's no amazing mausoleum or whatever. But I really think that is such a metaphor for imam ghazali's life yeah you just think that it was probably his dua that's been answered like he didn't he didn't seek fame he didn't seek any of those things and then um just for someone who's remembered to the extent that he's remembered and the influence he's had to be buried in a place like that i just think yeah it's just such a metaphor
0: for what we should be seeking i guess yeah no i agree i have to agree and I was just gonna ask, like, what I guess was your expectation to see like a mausoleum, like you would with other um, saints and imams, uh, not just in Iran but all over the world. I guess, I mean that that would have been my expectation to see like a giant memorial.
1: I didn't have any expectations. I, I think I expected something different. I think I think the most interesting thing in all of this is. I, didn't, I have never in my entire life ever questioned, where, where is Imam al buried? I had actually never asked that question. Yeah,
2: yeah. I
1: hadn't either. I was, and I don't think most people have, because I, it's such a strange thing, right? Because because I had always been interested in, well, where's Rumi buried? Okay, he's in Konya, Turkey. Okay, where's Iqbal? He's in Lahore. And you go through the list, right? And 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 you end up knowing, even if you don't want to know, you know where people are buried because people talk about them.
0: Mm. But no
1: one had ever said to me or asked me, you know, where's his Ali Bird? It's true. So yeah,
0: no one ever talks about true. it. Everyone it, talks about the tombs of Rumi and Iqbal. Yeah. No one ever talks about. It was about
2: only when you said you were going that it actually occurred to me that I had no idea where he was buried.
1: And and I think and I think that that was for me. Such such an interesting thing that when I when I saw so I googled him so I said okay someone I think mentioned um, that you know he may be in Iran so so originally when I went to Mashhad I was going to go see um, the tomb of uh, Ferdosi
0: mm. and
1: he's he's very closely buried to Imam Wazali, and so I this is true story this is exactly how I found out Wazali was in Iran I zoomed into Google Maps and then I saw this, this sign and which indicated a landmark so I zoomed even more and I said and I thought this must have be a Google, you know, like an error. Someone had incorrectly um, yeah. marked him as a location. So when I actually went, I was completely expecting it to be empty. I have nothing. You know, it could just be like a, you know, it could be a laundromat. It could be anything. Someone had yeah. s- kind of like spoofed me. So I actually had no expectations. And when I got to see it, I just couldn't believe it. And I thought this this is with a giant was always buried, and I guarantee most Sunnis have no idea even today.
2: That's Um, so funny, though. It removes all the romanticism from your story.
0: (laughs) Definitely. That one-end journey kind of just means everything about your trip in Iran, to me, anyway.
2: Yeah, it's like a good summary of your... Entire yeah. experience, even though it was very different to the rest of the journey.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think so. I think I think just just to conclude, if you want to ask more on Rizal, I can talk about it. But I think just to conclude on him is, um and I, I think there's been a lot of questions. People of people have asked me, um, why do you think he's buried the way he is, and 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 why hasn't he been upgraded or, or whatever it is and like you said earlier i think it's it's just his life i think this is what he would have wanted and and it's i think he'll stay like this for a while just from what i could see around him there doesn't seem to be any any work happening to to progress or improve any, anything um regarding his tomb and and I think if you look at the, and this might be a little bit controversial, but I'll say it anyway, but if you look at Jews mm-hmm. and Mashab and then uh, Nishapur, these are the three major towns in Khorasan province, uh, the northeast. If you look at who's buried in all of those towns, um, if you, if you gave Vasali the importance that he deserves, and, and and this is, again, a little bit controversial, he's very central to the Sunni faith, but he's recognized in the Shia faith only as a contributor. He's not considered the great mm-hmm. mystic, the greatest logician, the way mm-hmm. uh, the schools of thought within Sunni sects have taken him. Right. If, you, if you gave him the prominence, and, and this is my personal view, he will overshadow anybody around him. And for those of you who is the greatest poet in Persian history, would be overshadowed. And then if you go to Masha, then this is Imam Reza's shrine. And just for people who don't know much about Imam Reza, he, he's, he's got blood lineage from the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, directly. So he, although he's revered in Sunni Islam, he's not seen the way um, by Sunnis, the way Shias have. But I think Wazali's contribution and what he's done for Islam would just turn him into a pilgrimage site for Sunnis. And I think that yeah. might just, you know, and I think, I, I don't know if I would, would like to see that personally. Yeah. But yeah. I think it would change. I, I think it would change a lot of um, spirituality of that region. And I and I think a lot of people don't know this. Maybe I should have mentioned this earlier. But Iran was a Sunni country for majority of its history. Only in the last four hundred years, I think, maybe three hundred yeah. years, became yeah. Shia. So when I was in when I was in Shiraz, for example, almost all the the, the shrines that I saw were Sunni shrines. Um, you know, other than Shah Chirag shrine, which is which is um, which is Shia shrine, which is from the blood of Imam Raza, almost everything else is Sunni, Sufism, Sufism, has dervishes, and this is a common theme across the ancient heartland of Iran. So there's a huge richness of Sunni history, and you know, almost like if people wanted to do ziyarat and, and do these kind of pilgrimages for Sunnis, there's so much richness in Iran, and and I think this is the key point. Iran is not a Shia country, and 10% of Iran is Sunni, which a lot of people don't know. And so there's a lot of, lot of opportunity for people to travel. The way they mm-hmm. travel to Turkey or Morocco and, and North Africa, they should go to Iran. They should they should find out about some of the saints, yeah, some of the really. cities the yeah. that have spilled all over into Sunnism today.
2: I, I was yeah. going to say just on that point, because... So when you, you obviously, you did a lot of stories from Iran for uh, for Sacred Footsteps for our Instagram. And some of the feedback we got really came as a surprise to me because although most of it was overwhelmingly positive, we we received quite a bit of negative feedback that we'd never have had before. There was a real well. backlash from some Sunnis that we were even posting anything from Iran. And they were complaining about things that actually within Sunnism you know like like the people you've mentioned for example there's nothing wrong with us respecting them or revering them or anything but they just had this impression for whatever reason that we shouldn't be
0: showing anything from this country purely because it's Shia.
1: It's such a shame, right? It's. It's, it's so
0: weird as well. It's really Sorry to weird. To think, but it's so it's such a strain. Like when it was all happening, I just thought, man, this is so divisive and weird, um, and quite sad actually yeah. at the but, same time. Yeah.
1: It's it's such a shame. I think the reason I find it such a shame is because there's so much history and there's so much knowledge in and around that, for some reason, the entire world has decided, look, we don't need this country. We're just going to cut them out, not only from from yeah, the, right, the global yeah. stage, but yeah, also from sure. the Muslim stage, Ms. right? Muslims
2: and non-Muslims. Everybody yeah. seems exactly. to have decided that.
1: And 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 it seems to have happened for so long that it just doesn't seem to be changing. Um, like Iran has sanctions on it today; they've, they they keep mounting up. And 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 when I was in Iran, I would find people, and they would be so frustrated. And they just they just really want to talk to people and say, listen to us, look at us, and and it wasn't like a desperate plea, you know, like you, you go to some countries and, for example, I've been to Cuba, which I which I think is a strange parallel because I would, I would call almost if anybody's been to Cuba, I would say Iran is almost like Cuba, but if Cuba was Muslim, because right. it, has, okay. it has a lot of isolationist history and even today the ideologies, I mean, I don't want to compare communism with with Shiaism, but if you were to do a parallel is they have a, such a strong faith in, in their own ideology. They don't want to challenge it too much and they're comfortable with who they are. But at the same time, there's an urge to, to leave Iran, to escape Iran, which is mostly with the young people. But within Iran itself, the people, the older generations, they have no reason to leave. They're comfortable with mm. their history. They're proud of it and there's so much to be proud of. So for the Sunnis who don't want to talk about Iran, it's 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 a huge opportunity loss because you have to realize who you're cutting out if you if you accept that as a narrative that we don't need Iran, they've never done anything positive for Muslims because you're now taking out most of the Islamic figures we've had in history from yeah,
0: I was going say
1: mathematicians. And then I mean, I don't have to mention any other than Wazali. I think I think Ghazali himself could carry the shoulder, you know the burden of yeah. of Iran for the mm. next thousand years even now. And but there's so many more. I mean, you literally look at the Persian contribution to Islam, and majority of this was under Sunnis. And this is not to say Shias haven't done anything. All I mean to say is for the Sunni brothers and sisters, who have this misconception about Iran and and how we need to cast them aside, I just say it's just it's such a silly idea to even think. Yeah,
0: and, and, and I think it its not even just it's even culturally like it transcends to food and art and. Architecture and all these things we just delete if we don't see them as a contribution, um but just based on what you were saying, just personally for you, what was it like being a Sunni in sort of Shia majority? Were you comfortable with just saying that you were Sunni? were the times where I know you mentioned in the article where you just kind of went along with it if people asked you if you were Shia, um which I found uh quite interesting.
1: Yeah, just before I do that, just to finish the last point. Um, the influence on on if you're looking at the Indian subcontinent alone, and I'm, I like I like food, I like good food, obviously. Um, huh. People people don't know about biryani it actually comes from Iran. Um, so do a lot of other Indian dishes. Um, you look at the you look at the, the origin of it. Most most Mughal influence in Iran in India. Which obviously was Iranian. So a lot of things that we Pakistanis and Indians think, you know, we invented this stuff. <laughs> it's actually, it's actually Iranian. Um, anyway, okay. So
0: in, that was important think, point, though. Yeah.
1: I think I think it's a silly it's a silly point to some people, but it just goes back to show that we have so much to thank Iran for. And the kebab, for example, there's one shop in in Tehran. It's it's known. I think it's famous for being the oldest kebab shop in the world. And I, oh. I think some, I think when I was there, I I had a chance to eat at it, and I think someone told me, if I if I remember correctly, it's almost 400 years old. That site of where the kebabs originally started from.
0: Wow, it, I think amazing.
1: you can debate you can debate this point because some people say it came from Afghanistan or, or you know the, the Middle East. Um, but yeah, they have they have that too. So Iranians can really stand on their own and say like we have everything, you know. So, well, how can you take us out of yeah. the history yeah. um so okay so to your point about being a sunni in a, in a shia country so for people who followed the stories and sacred footsteps i would have noticed that i never referenced anything to do with my faith because i didn't want i didn't want that to become a dividing factor to say this person is in iran and he's doing all these shia things and and you know therefore i will not listen to him or i will and I did have some, you know, I did have some people who messaged me to say, "You're clearly Shia. I'm not going to follow you anymore. I'm going to block you." Um, and and I never, I never, you know, I never once decided to say, "Look, I'm see, I'm Sunni, by the way. Don't don't unfollow me. I I want I want you to you know keep watching my stories," because I kind of wanted to try this thing, which was how much how much can people absorb of something different and not question the roots of of you know of the views. So a lot of my views. Were I think pretty much I think in the middle I wasn't really pushing an agenda but I was also being very critical of Iran mm. but I was also being very optimistic and and hopeful and and I think I think I was all, you know saying very good things and you know glorifying Iran and Persian history but as a Sunni it's surprisingly very very easy to be at least a tourist in Iran so although I was studying and I was living in Iran and then became a tourist I didn't feel any issues at all. And I've had people message me to say, how did you pray? You know, did you pray with the Shi'as? Um, is it easy to do Jamaat, you know, behind the Shi'as if you're Sunnis, you know, if a group of people? And and there's tons of questions like these. And for for me alone, I didn't have any p- issues because I would pray differently to, to, Shia, to my Shi'a brothers. And people would notice. And the first time I did it, I had a really difficult experience because I... I I felt really conscious that I was folding my arms I was you know I wasn't I wasn't doing a lot of different things that they were doing and I completely expected by the end of the the prayer for the people next to me to look at me and and judge me and and, and say something or at least or at least talk to me and say anything but they completely ignored me this happened every single time nobody nobody once looked at me, looked at me to say, this guy's different, you know, this, and I prayed with large jamaats, I prayed with very small congregations too. So I was definitely noticed by a lot of people, because Mm -hmm. I would, I would often go with my huge, huge SLR camera, I would take photos Mm -hmm. so people know me, I wouldn't even try try to blend in. (laughs) I was completely completely looking for, you know, not for trouble, but I completely wanted people to talk to me and say, you know, who are you, why are you taking all these photos? Um, But nobody cared, nobody. And for people who are listening and they're curious, they do have Sunni um, mosques in Iran. You can go pray at those if you want to. Uh, there's not many anymore, from what I understand. There there is some issues and some tension between the the government and the Sunni minorities. Um, but in Shiraz, for example, they have a they have a mosque for Sunnis where you could go pray Friday prayers, and there's no issues. Mm. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I it, it completely completely. If anything, I would I would go a little bit further and say. I actually felt like Iranians are far more tolerant of Sunnis, at least visitors. I can't speak for Iranian Sunnis because I know there's some people who would argue they've been oppressed. But without touching on that topic, I think as a traveler at least, I felt more accepted than I did in some Sunni countries that I've been to where I think people, people do look at you because, A, you look different, you talk different. And yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've also been corrected praying with Sunnis. They would say, this is not how you should be folding your leg or this is not how you should be yep
0: Have should, so that that that, <laughs> haven't <laughs> we all <laughs> yeah
1: and, and that's a, that's a funny one. you say that right because because I've been corrected by Sunnis so much yeah,
0: yeah. and
1: and, and, and there's a funny joke to this because when I was in Iran and I would tell people I'm Sunni, I had this one person who said to, who said to me as a joke, oh, you guys are real Muslims, though. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and they said, yeah, but what I mean to say is you you guys take this stuff seriously. And I was so surprised. And I said, what do you mean? You guys you guys take this pretty seriously, too. And they said, yeah, but we're more relaxed by this stuff. You guys are really hardcore. And it made me think. And I thought, maybe that's kind of true because because sunnis you know and and I, I i don't want to get into the into, into the practicing of how sunnis are different to shias but we we are pretty prescriptive in, in ways that shias are not mm. and and i realized this because when i was praying with shias they would come to a to a prayer or, you know and they would come late and they wouldn't they wouldn't always join the Jama'at. some would stay behind and pray there would be spaces between people shoulder to shoulder is not a mandatory thing for example um they encourage it but it's not you don't have to do it. Mm. So I would often have my bag and my shoes next to me, and there would be a huge gap between me and the person next to me, and nobody cares. So there's a lot of ways that Shias, in my personal opinion, have 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 practiced in in a much more, I think, um, I think easier way of praying yeah. it. So when they see Sunnis, I think they think, oh, but you guys are really strict, right? So I I laughed at this, and I realized that maybe it's just interpretation because obviously to, to the Shi'a's, Shia brothers and sisters who are listening, it's not a generalization. I mean, I saw some really hard, you know, loving, passionate Shias who, who really loved and believed what they were praying and doing. And and that's a, and that's a beautiful thing. It actually made yeah. me a Sunni because, well, not a Sunni, I was a stronger Muslim because I saw the passion and I realized, you know, I haven't seen this passion in so long. Mm. And, and for me, that was a reaffirmation of my own faith. Um, but I definitely don't think... Um, Sunnis are proper Muslims and Shias are not. I think it's just, <laughs> I think it's a gross misunderstanding communication they have between borders because Shias think, you know, all Sunnis are like, you know, one type of S- Sunnis. And we are so diverse too. So there's yeah,
2: huge... Yeah, it's a stereotype,
0: opposition. isn't it? That's Absolutely, into, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, so when you visited um, Isfahan, you also, you you spent some time in the Armenian Christian quarter. That's
1: right. So in Isfahan, there's an area called Jafra district. It's south of it's in the south side of Isfahan. And it's traditionally been settled by Armenian Christians who, who came over waves of immigration. Um, some as refugees from persecution. So these 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 are people who've been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, and there's a really famous, beautiful cathedral called the Vank Cathedral. And it's actually within the vicinity has two more cathedrals. But the Van Cathedral is is incredible. It has the, the interior is it's just, it's just classical uh, Renaissance type um, um, Greek Orthodox mixture with the with various Fahani stuff with art. Um, and, and within that area itself has a very relaxed environment about it, which is strange because you, you think you're in Iran, everything's going to be very Muslim and very strict and A, which is not true. But within the Jofa district specifically, it has an air of, um, you know, now you're in Jofa, you can relax. And and this is a weird thing because once you go to Jofa, there's more coffee shops, there's more like hipster coffee areas, young kids hang out. I see people smoking. Um, there's a more, more of a mixture between genders. And there's even a shop where you can go, you know, buy a ham, pork ham sandwich, you know, for example, um, which which you would never expect to find in a Muslim country openly.
2: No, you wouldn't. When you think of Iran, you don't think of these minority groups. It's not really a view that's ever kind of shown to the outside world. Yeah. When, and also because you, you visited a number of synagogues too. And again, you don't think, you don't consider the Jewish communities that must exist there.
1: Yeah, that's right. So Iran has the largest Jewish population outside of Israel, the U- US and Europe so which is which is incredible, yeah incredible is. and i I try to visit a few synagogues. I wasn't always successful, but the history there goes back centuries you know centuries and and it's it's beautiful, it's completely completely accepted it's there's no issues at all and and it's a such strange understanding that people have that Iran doesn't have diversity, um but you could completely be armenian in in one area, walk you know a mile. And you could be in a Jewish area, and then you could be in a in a Sunni area and in a Shia area, and 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 there's absolutely no no divide no divisions between the people. And you know, I've seen when I was there, I saw I saw ministers walking past, and then I saw like an imam, and then you know, while I was having coffee, and I thought this is so bizarre. I'm sitting in Jaffa, which is fine, a bit of an open, diverse area, but within within like twenty minutes, I could be in Naqshar Jaha, in Sfahan, which is which is the heartland of you know. Um, Islamic, you know, uh, Isfahan. And Isfahan is a very religious Islamic city traditionally too. So it's not even like it's it's seen as a soft, um, you know, more or less religious city. It's very, very Islamic. So And within literally 20 minutes, you could be between a synagogue, a church, and a masjid, a mosque. And I I don't think I've seen that in many, many Muslim countries at all.
0: So you you spent two months um, in Iran, and on the back of that, obviously, we've got together and decided that everybody should go to Iran. And so (laughs) to you to Ali, you've organized a Sacred Footsteps tour to Iran. So do you just want to talk a little bit about that and how people can sort of get on board and the remaining spaces and future projects that we've got planned? Okay,
1: so inshallah, we're planning two tours for now um, in, in, in April, both of them in April 2019 and the tour really is 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 my, is my experience being shared with people who are interested in coming to iran so the tour will take you to the heart of iran we'll go to tehran you know we you see a lot of the the modern cosmopolitan life in iran which people don't really know about because tehran is such a contradiction you know you can really really be in paris in one in, in one avenue and then and then go into a qajar you know typical iranian traditional house the next and then you could be in the metro and they have skyscrapers so we will take people there we will we'll show them the, the art museums some of some of the traditional um palaces and then we'll go all the way south to kashan which is which is the it's known for its carpets it's one of the oldest towns in the world and then we'll go into isfahan and isfahan if, if needs no introduction isfahan is really the half the world it has it has the most beautiful mosques in in iran in in my in my opinion so we will spend 3 4 days there and then we will go to yazd and Yazd is, is is probably one of my favorite cities simply because it's such a different city. It has it's most of it's built out of mud. So you have this really, really um different outlook and, and it's a very hot city. So you really feel the Zoroastrian, literally Zarastian mm-hmm. fire hitting you in the face when you get to with Yazd. Um and then we take people to Shiraz and Shiraz is just just incredibly, incredibly relaxing and it's such a beautiful place with gardens and 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 of course, as the poets, where we'll take our um, our, our people to. And so this, this trip is for 12 days. So we've got a few spots left. And if people are interested, all they have to do is email us, message us. And if we have enough interest, I think, inshallah, we will be looking to do more tours in the future.
0: Thank you so much for listening. As usual, you can drop us a line on our social media, specifically our Twitter, at sfootsteps. All links mentioned in this podcast are in the show notes. And don't forget to check out the Iran tour happening next year. You can sign up for that on our website. Until then, safe and blessed travels.